Okay, we are in lesson 38, and we are looking, we've looked at last week verse 22. We're going to continue on all the way into chapter 28 today. And we're looking at these Proverbs that were written by Solomon, but compiled into the book of Proverbs by the scribes of Hezekiah. Okay, so this is the great-great-great-grandson's scribes compiling these Proverbs of Solomon. So now we're going to look at verses 23 through 27. We're going to look at four verses here that specifically talk about the issue of wealth. Verses 23 through 27, four verses here that are specifically talking about the issue of wealth. Look with me at what it says. Verse 23 of chapter 27. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed, and the tender grass shows itself, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing, and the goat the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. Now, here is the point that he's making. People should preserve what wealth they have because it does not endure forever. People should preserve what wealth they have because it does not endure forever. Now, let me explain something to you. This, in fact, this is a lesson that many of us are learning right now in the society in which we live in, because as you're watching, how many of you are watching your buying power slowly shrink? Maybe you're making the same amount of money at work, working the same amount of hours, got the same paycheck coming in, but all of a sudden, for some reason, it seems like you have less money. How many of you see that? Okay, every one of us here. Well, yeah, it's the economy and it's gas prices have gone up. And gas, when it goes up, everything goes up because everything, I mean, for instance, like diesel, when, when truck drivers, oh, well, that doesn't really matter to the truck driver who's got to pay $4 and some a gallon because, you know, I'm still paying less than them. I'm okay. No, you're not. Everything is hauled by a truck. Everything is hauled by a truck. So you say, what does that got to do with what we're talking about here? Proverbs here, Solomon is making a point that you and I, notice the very first part here. Notice what he's saying there. Now, he's, again, in an agrarian culture. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. They measured their wealth in that time by the animals they had. What was the state of their herd? What was the state of their flock? No, they didn't count coins. They counted what was my material wealth here in reference to the animals that I had and so forth. So Solomon is encouraging you and I to be very diligent about our assets, to be aware of our assets, to think about our assets. And then he makes the point, notice what he says here, and it's a very good point because he's telling us what life is like. For notice, look at what verse 24 says, For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure all generations. Riches aren't forever. There's no security in riches. And he even goes one point and says, look, even for a king, 
don't necessarily believe that every one of your descendants is going to have the crown. And history shows that. History shows that not everyone will end up getting the crown. Because something else happens, or a coup happens, or, or uh, someone overthrows, or someone conquers, or maybe there's someone who doesn't even have any offspring, so a new one takes the crown, or so forth. And that's the whole point. You and I need to be diligent and realistic about life. And, and listen, around here, we should be realistic about life, shouldn't we? Because maybe at one time we were secure in our jobs around here, but then notice, what kind of jobs do we have now? No, the cheese plant's gone. This is shut down, that's shut down. Things have moved on. And, and before, when you thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll just work here forever. Now you can't, you're not guaranteed anything. In fact, even the so-called security jobs, security, well, just get a job in the state. You'll be okay. Not necessarily anymore because no longer can even government guarantee you that you're going to have what? Health insurance. Those of you who are retired, well, at least I got my pension. What you may not know is that they're spending the pension. That's an asset to that company is the pension fund. And they may cut your health insurance and stuff. Well, well that's not what they told me when I said it. Yeah, but when they told you that, times were different. And believe me, they'll go back on their word, won't they? See, the whole point of what he's saying here is you should preserve what wealth you have because it's not going to endure. It's not going to endure. Now, why do you and I need to grasp that point? Because a lot of the struggles that people are having right now is a struggle of attitude. A lot of the struggles that people have right now is a struggle of attitude. Well, it's just the government's fault. Hey, you can't blame everything on the government. I'll be honest with you. If, you're, if you know a little bit about economics, economy happens no matter who the president is. But it's, it doesn't. Now, they can affect it a little bit. But who, does the government have any control over how many, what the Arabs charge for oil? No, none. You understand? Do they have any control over how much your dollar is worth? I mean, if they did, I believe you, they would be trying to bring it up right now. See, what I'm trying to say to you, there are factors outside of the control of humanity. And so that's what Solomon is trying to say, guys. You need to tend to your flocks. Consider the condition of your flocks. Because your flocks are what's going to provide for you in the future. Provide for you in the future. So that's the whole point there concerning wealth. And so you and I are going to be adjusting. You need to adjust your lifestyle because you only have so much wealth. And wealth doesn't last forever. Wealth doesn't last forever. So that's wisdom. That's wisdom. So let's go on now. Look at uh, the issue of confidence, verse 1 in chapter 28. The wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Okay, the faith of the righteous builds confidence. The faith of the righteous builds confidence. Have you ever noticed someone who's wicked, and that's a general term for, for somebody who's corrupt, that usually if they're doing other people in, they're always nervous about what? Somebody doing them in. Maybe you even had dealings with somebody like that. Maybe you've even had dealings where here you are, you're an honest man, you're an honest, maybe a worker or something, 
and you work for a guy who's pretty corrupt. And the thing that drives you crazy is, is he's always making insinuations that you're trying to what? Steal from him. You ever notice that? And it's not because you're corrupt, it's because what? He's corrupt. And so he knows how he is, therefore he doesn't what? He doesn't trust anybody else because he's afraid of what? Him getting caught. You know, you know that's exactly right. Here, let me, I'll just give you a little bit. Here's another illustration of it. Let's take a family, a spouse, spousal relationship. And you've got one spouse that maybe the one spouse is faithful, but the other spouse continues to level accusations like, you must be cheating on me. You must be running around on me. And what's going on there, usually what happens is if you examine what's going on there, the one who's leveling the accusations is the one who's doing it. Why? Proverbs says right here. Notice what it says there. Verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues. They're nervous. They think something's going to happen to them, and so they accuse the others. But here's the point that Proverbs... Here's the thing I want you to... But the righteous are as bold as the lion. What's the whole point there? The faith, your faith as a righteous person, as a, as a believer, will give you confidence. You're not worried about stuff around you happening. Because what? Your faith is in God, ultimately. Should be. Should be, shouldn't it? Now look at the issue of stability. Now we're going to move down to the issue of a nation. Because of the transgression of a land, many are its princes. But by demand of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. Here's the point I want you to see. A nation's stability comes with a discerning and knowledgeable ruler. A nation's stability comes with what? A discerning and knowledgeable ruler. Now, let's, let's kind of look at verse 2 there and kind of grasp it. Because of the transgression of the land. What do you think he's talking about there? Okay, because of the sin of the land. But specifically what? Does the land sin? The people in it. Because they sin, notice now what he says. Because the people sin, there are many what? What does it say there? Princes. Now what's a prince? A ruler. Here's the thing. If everybody was perfect, we wouldn't need government. You understand? We have government because everybody's not perfect. Because we're a nation of sinners, you have government. Listen, there, that's, there's a reason why there are five police officers here in Kerbersville. Not because they want to have a big police force. Three now. Okay, three. Used to be five. Okay, they downsized. Okay. Well, we still have three here. We still have three. And the whole purpose is, is why? Because we're, we're a community of nice, loving, get along, fine with everybody's people. Those of you who live in Kerbersville, you know we're, we're nice here, aren't we? There's no problems here in town, right? Yeah, salt of the earth is what he says. Now, do we know better than that? Yeah, we know a whole lot better than that, don't we? That's the whole point here. Is, is, is there's a reason for government. Government is will basically 
deal with the wicked. In fact, isn't that what a parallel passage, if you want to write this down, is Romans chapter 13. Verse 1, where he says, let everyone be subject to authority because authority is ordained by God. And then he says what government's role is there is to punish the wicked. Okay, so there's the point. So we understand that the purpose of a government is to deal with the wicked. So now we get to the second part of that verse. Notice what it says then. It talks about the leader of that government. Look at what the leader says. But by a man of understanding and knowledge, life will be prolonged. Here's the whole point. That's what I've got up there. The stability of a nation comes with a discerning and knowledgeable rumor. Now, listen to me. This is election year. Oh, no. He's going to tell us who to vote. No, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. In a way, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. You need to be discerning as a Christian. Because when you talk about electing a president, or electing a governor, or electing a senator, or a congressman, or a local leader, or a mayor, doesn't matter what the race is. It's not a popularity contest. Does everybody understand me? We've made it into a popularity contest. It's not a popularity contest. You are talking about the person, whatever the party, who is going to lead our country. And that person, according to Proverbs, needs to be, if there's going to be stability in a nation. What does the Proverbs say that person needs to be? Yeah, he's going to, he needs to be discerning and knowledgeable. So when you decide who you're going to vote for, all the stuff you see on television, can I be honest with you, when you listen to on television, they're not saying anything. The stuff they talk about is trivial. The real issues aren't there. You need to look at character. You need to look at at their knowledge. And that goes for either party. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just saying you have a responsibility, the Proverbs is saying, to use wisdom in who you select as your leader. But too often it's a popularity contest, isn't it? The point is for you and I that we need to be knowledgeable and discerning about the person that we choose, and they need to be what? Knowledgeable and discerning. Not just popular. Not just popular. Why do I say that? Okay, let's go forward. Transport yourself to the future sometime. Maybe ten years from now, maybe a hundred years from now, maybe a thousand years from now. This world, according to the Scripture, is going to have a ruler who's going to come to power and he's not going to come to power by force. They're going to welcome him. He's going to be popular. But the reality of who he is, is that he is Antichrist. He's Antichrist. The one world ruler who's going to come. And the scripture is very clear to us that he comes to power without the use of force. What does that mean? So obviously democracy. So he's going to be selected. They're going to welcome him. They're, in fact, they're going to worship him. So that should give you pause for a moment about how we select our leaders now. Of all the people who should be discerning, it should be who? Christians. Christians. So you see the point there. And that doesn't matter. If, if, again, you're, I'm not saying one party or another. 
look now at the issue of a ruler in verse 3 of chapter 28. A poor man who oppresses the poor is like the driving rain which leaves no food. A poor man who... And the context of this, the commentators are speaking of here, is a ruler. A ruler who oppresses the poor destroys his own dominion. Because he, in the context of what is going on here, the point is that, you know, you want to choose the right person, but if you have somebody who ultimately is described as a poor man, who oppresses the poor, is like a man, is like the driving range which leaves no food. So, for instance, those of you who understand about farming and crops, if you have a hard rain that comes, it can destroy your what? Crops. Let's say they're just new crops right out of the ground and you get a hailstorm. My wife loves hailstorms. No, she doesn't. She hates them. Why? Because when a hailstorm comes, she's seen numerous of her plants get what? destroyed. See, that's what a poor man... You've got a guy who's a poor man in as a leader, and he oppresses the poor, he's going to destroy that nation. That's the whole point. He's going to destroy that nation. Now, look at the issue of law, because we're talking again in the context here. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. So here's the point. Obedience to the law determines one's attitude towards lawbreakers. That's a good point. Now, notice now. Notice something now. We have grown into a culture today that, uh, let's be very honest, is very tolerant of what? Sin. In fact, oh, we may not be tolerant about some guy we see on the news that maybe killed his wife or an axe murderer or somebody like that. And, you know, we're not tolerant about those because those are big, gross sins. But, you know what, speeding, so speeding down the State Street here in Kerbersville going 60 and passing somebody, even though there's a no-passing zone, even if he gets pulled over, we want to have mercy for that kind of guy. Did you notice that? Why do we want to have mercy for that kind of guy? Okay, it's not that big of a sin, Bruce says. Anybody else? What are you saying over here? Because we do it. Because when nobody was looking, we were going 60 and passing on the lane down there. See, that's the whole point. We tolerate stuff today more so than ever in our society. Why? The whole point is because we're not obedient to the law ourselves anymore. See, when you're obedient to the law, you don't tolerate stuff. Have you noticed that? When you're obedient to the law, you don't tolerate it. You don't tolerate those actions. And that's the whole point here. Notice what he says. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. So, I mean, notice something. We make, in our country especially because we're so individualistic, we make heroes out of what? Criminals. Why does our culture celebrate that? Because in our individualistic mindset of our culture, we're not obeying the law either. And somebody who gets one over on the government, we're what? We're excited about that. What does that reveal about us? What's Benny said? 
They're lawbreakers. They're lawbreakers. That's the whole point here. Obedience to the law determines one's attitude towards lawbreakers. You understand? Determines one's attitude towards lawbreakers. Look at the issue of justice now, verse 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. Here's the point. Piety alone fully comprehends justice. Piety alone fully comprehends justice. Listen, you can't expect our culture to understand justice. Because justice today doesn't make any sense. Justice today doesn't make any sense. You can't truly comprehend justice without a comprehension of who? God. And that's the whole point here. Piety alone fully comprehends justice. Piety is your, your, your individual spiritual life. You understand right and wrong because you have a walk with God. Therefore, you understand justice because if you just leave justice out there, justice is determined by what? Consensus. That's what's happening in our country today. Justice now is determined by consensus. So, right now, things are acceptable and legal, but ten years from now, if the consensus changes, and that's what we're watching happening all around us, then they'll change the laws to, to do that. So, let me, for instance, let me, let me explain something to you. I just had this thought this week. What if, how, how many of you are praying for revival to come to the church? Raise your hand. Let's see. Everybody's praying for revival. Okay. I was just thinking about this this week. What if revival did come? Would that be a good thing or a bad thing for the country? It'd be a good thing for Christians, right? Here's what I thought. It'd be a bad thing for the country economically. Why? Well, if we got our value systems right and walked with God, I think a lot of the things that we spend money on would change. And if Christians quit spending money on stuff that they shouldn't be spending money on, because this is a consumer-driven economy, the country is going to take a financial hit. So guess who's going to be blamed for that? Yeah, So do we quit praying for revival? No, you pray for revival. But here's the thing. Jesus said this. If you are a follower of me, you will be persecuted. And it's going to come to this country, too. Because justice is by consensus here. But true justice comes by a true understanding of a walk with God. Let's go on to verse 6, righteousness. Honest, okay, here, verse 20, excuse me, verse 6. Here's the point. Honest poverty is better than dishonest wealth. Honest poverty is better than dishonest wealth. Because that dishonest wealth, that person who is using wicked ways to gain what he's doing, his schemes are ultimately going to what? Consume him. But the righteous, even though he doesn't have anything, he can sing and praise. Why? Why? Why can you sing in praise? Why can the righteous sing in praise? 
Okay, clear conscience. Okay, that's good, but that's not the true answer. But that's good, though. You guys are doing good. Why did he sing and pray? Not just a clear conscience. If it was just a clear conscience, that really isn't just enough to sing and praise about. There's something more there. Why did the righteous sing and pray? Why does, why does a poor righteous person have joy? Okay, a piece that passes on his hands. Okay, that's good. Still not quite. Okay, it's free, loose Still not quite. They have the Lord in his word. You're getting close now. Okay, you're getting close. That's good. Anybody else? All right, that's good, Mike. Still not, still not there yet. Okay, I want you to take a moment. Some of you have been overseas. Why is it that the Christians, even in spite of their poverty, and, and even the knowledge that things aren't going to get better, have joy? What do they have? Okay, their future. You're close now, Mike. You're getting it. Okay, God in eternity. Okay, so let's, let's, their future. Let's take what Mike just said and add, it, add what uh, Tom just said and put it together. The reason why the righteous sing and rejoice, even though they're poor, is they have a hope for something in the future. See, it's the future hope that motivates us. You ever notice, now you say, what are you talking about? Ever notice something? Even when it comes to communion, do this until in remembrance of me and what? And we're to do it until what? Jesus comes back. Until Jesus comes back. Everything we do should be done in light of what? His coming. Jesus is coming. See, they have joy and peace. No matter how hard things are here, no matter what happens wrong, I have a secure future. And so my hope is in the future. But let's just stop for a moment. Listen to me, Christian. Is that you? Let's be honest. I'll include myself in it. Is that our motivator for the day? How many of you would say no? I'm raising my hand. So I'm giving you permission now to be real. If I'm raising my hand, you sure can raise your hand. So let's raise them up. Everybody look around. Okay. All right. Here's the point. We got our values messed up. Why is it that the motivation of Jesus coming back doesn't motivate us to get through what life throws at us. Because let's be honest, life will throw stuff at you. You may go to the doctor this week and he says, you have a lump. Or three of your main whatever is clogged up. We just, just this week, we, a friend of Lori's mom and dad found out he's got a tumor on his back that they can do something about but they can't cure Now, he thought everything was okay until he went to the doctor. See, you can do... See, now, what gets you through stuff like that? Contentment? Clear conscience? No. A hope for the future. So why is it that we don't have that hope for the future? Why is it that we operate without that hope? Let's be honest. Come on, we're being real here. Come on. Lack of faith. That's good, Ramona. What else? Okay, too much worldly stuff around us that we're living in. So how, how does that worldly stuff around us that we're living in affect us as far as our hope for the future? How does that help? How does that affect us? Because our focus is where? Yeah, it, it, it's on ourselves. 
Our focus is on ourselves. So that when something bad happens to us, we get all bent out of shape about what happened. We'll even get mad at God and say, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? When God, listen, it's the society, the culture, the world, sin-ridden world we live in, stuff happens. He didn't promise you a free ride of blessing here on this planet. The free ride of blessing comes when? Later. Later. See, our whole focus is wrong. See, now you say, let me just connect this to what I just said before, because maybe you're still back there mad at me about what I said about revival. Because when revival comes, the focus that we have on material stuff now will what? Disappear. And your focus will actually not be on what the stuff you can have. Your focus will be, and I was just reading in my personal devotional time this week, Acts chapter 4, that when they came together, they held things in common. And when somebody saw a need in the church, they sold what they had to help somebody else out. They weren't focused on self. In fact, Acts chapter 5 talks about a couple who was focused on self, who kept back part of what they had and lied about it. And guess what happened to them? God struck them dead. Aren't you glad he's not striking us dead today? I don't think any of us would be alive in here right now. Isn't that true? You know, so that's my point. The whole thing is, is honest poverty is better than dishonest wealth. Why? Because we've got a hope. Dishonesty doesn't have any hope, does it? Okay, let's go on now. Conduct. Uh, here we're talking about the conduct of a son. Look at verse 7. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Here's the point. A son who obeys the law is wise. He has insight. But notice what it says. The companion of gluttons is what? A shame. Here's my point. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Have you ever noticed that and, and parents, this is real. If you've got a black sheep in the family, how do the parents react to that? you got a boy that's gone wrong. doesn't matter how much you trained it. How do the parents, do, do the parents, when they get together in family reunion, say, look at Billy Bob. No, they don't even talk about Billy Bob. They worry about it, but they don't talk about it because they talk about it in hushed tones. They don't say, look at my Billy. Why? Because Billy's not doing right. And so to talk about Billy, especially if he gets arrested and his paper's face is on Gant Daily or the local news or whatever, you're not going to be talking about Billy. You're going to be hanging your head and put, you're not even going to go to Walmart. You're going to have somebody go to Walmart for you because you don't want anybody to see you. So they're going to say, well, isn't that the mom and dad of Billy Bob? You don't want that to happen. You know, all of a sudden you start doing your grocery shopping in Dubois. You know, or State College or Altoona, just to go somewhere where nobody knows you. You know? That's the whole point here. A son who obeys the law is wise. He has insight, but the, the opposite is true. Somebody who doesn't is ashamed. Ashamed to his father. Okay, look now at the issue of wealth again. Verse 8. The one who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. Here's the point. 
wealth amassed by unjust gains will eventually go to the poor. That's even true of today. You see these guys, they do whatever it takes to get the money they have, and then guess what? They end up dying. Who gets it? Yeah, the government. And then who gets it when the government gets it? Well, yeah, the poor, because the poor are overseas. All right. Yeah, they're here too. Look at verse 9 now. We're going to talk about prayer unanswered. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So here's the point. God will not listen to the prayers of those who will not listen to him. God will not hear the prayers of those who will not listen to him. This is not just an isolated verse. In Psalms, the psalmist says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear my prayers. Now, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm expressing frustration with you guys. As a pastor, I interact with people's lives. The most frustrating thing for me is to hear people doing wrong, willfully making the choice to do wrong, and then they say stuff like this, I hope God blesses me. What? You're thumbing your nose at him in one hand, but you still want his blessing? You've got a wrong view of God. Wrong view of God. Because I'm going to be honest with you. If you thumb in your nose at him, he ain't listening to you. He ain't listening to you. He's not listening to you. Let's go on now, the issue of rewards. This is our last verse. Verse 10. Whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself will fall into his own pit but the blameless will inherit good. Here's the point. Destruction awaits those who, are, who corrupt others, whereas rewards await those with integrity. Destruction awaits those who corrupt others, whereas rewards await those with integrity. You choose a wicked, evil path, my friends, it will lead to destruction. Over and over the Bible says that. You choose the right path, the path of faith, you have a hope for a future reward. That's the hope. Okay, next week we're going to look at part five. Let's uh, close our time in prayer and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.